Today's episode of The Shift We Shay is recorded on Gadigal land. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional custodians of the land, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of The Shift With Shay. I'm Shay, the host of this show, and today I'm joined by fellow nurse Fiona Hodson. Fiona is a clinical nurse consultant working in pain management. Fiona is also a passionate advocate focused on improving pain management, particularly for people experiencing pelvic problems, and has helped to develop a new patient-centered pelvic pain model of care. Fiona was also nominated for this year's Hester Nurse of the Year Award. Welcome to the show, Fiona. Thanks, Shay. What's it like to be nominated for a Nurse of the Year Award? Oh, very humbling. (laughs) Um, it was uh, a great honour uh, to be nominated because, as you know, there's um, amazing nurses doing brilliant things out there and in various specialties and domains in nursing across Australia, um, not just in New South Wales where I work. Uh, so it was it was a great honour to be, um, you know, to for the acknowledgement of the work that I've been doing, particularly in the area of uh, chronic pain management in for the last 25 years, and more recently the work that I'm starting to do in the pelvic pain, um, chronic pelvic pain space. So tell us a bit about the work, because I agree it's remarkable. I've been to a couple of the award ceremonies, and you know you just kind of watching awe of all of those incredible nurses and midwives when they, you know, go through the work that they've been doing. And, you know, even the submission process to put yourself forward or for someone to put you forward must be intense. So I'd love to know more about what you've been doing. Uh, yeah, no, thanks. Uh, yeah, it, it is quite a daunting process. I was very honoured to have been um, nominated by a, a colleague I work with um, and uh, as I said you know the award ceremony is the culmination I suppose of you know getting together um, what is determined as nurses that are working at a, you know um, have been doing amazing things in their specialty areas that they work in um, for instance there were three other nurses uh, that were working a lot in rural and chronic condition um, management um, I, I don't know about the nomination process because that's obviously outside of my realms, but uh, once you have been shortlisted and nominated, then, you know, it, it does all, all really come real then. And, and that's when you really start to think and consider all the work that you have done. And um, I must admit, getting uh, people that I was in the hospital where I work, you know, say, oh, you know, congratulations. It's, you know, you must be, you know, it's about time and, you know, well-deserved and all that sort of stuff was really, really quite humbling, as I said, and did make me feel very honoured. Um, but again, as I said, you know, uh, to get where I am, it's also been a lot of hard work, um, a lot of time taken away from my family um, in doing late night, you know, uh uh, meetings and and uh, projects and submissions and all of that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, I felt that it was it was worth it. It's been worth it. Yeah. Mm, excellent. So tell us a bit about the work. What what kind of started you down this pathway and what have you been doing? So I originally, uh, when I was 18, I started working in a nursing home and um, as hard as a job that that was, I absolutely loved it. But then I also realised that, you know, maybe I could do more in nursing. So then I enrolled to become an enrolled nurse. 
and I worked in palliative care and uh, and hospice work and did really well there and again felt the um, need to want to sort of you know aspire further and do more in the nursing field so then I ended up doing my bachelor in health and then my um, uh, health science and uh, then went did my postgrads at St Vincent's and, you know, again, started working in oncology and um, then ventured out to emergency nursing. <laughs> and I don't know, I just really had this uh, clear idea that I wanted to work in pain management. I think it, it came down to working in that palliative care hospice space originally. And then an opportunity arose and I went and started working at Liverpool Hospital as the CNC there uh, in acute pain and then from there moved on to working um, in more chronic outpatient um, pain management. But in that time, uh, that's when I moved up to Newcastle at to John Hunter Hospital uh, and started working here. Um, again, started in more of the acute pain service and had a lot of management and um, strategic um, planning, really enjoyed that, really enjoyed redesign stuff as well as part of that CNC role. Mm. And again, this just continued working um, more with chronic pain patients. And as hard as that is, uh, it's also can be very rewarding. So that's where I am at the moment. And as I said, my, because uh, I'm getting on in my years, <laughs> Um, and getting closer to 60. So I'm looking at, you know, what, where I want to end my career. And I started working with a pain fellow, um, Dr. Ksenia Kadak, who is a dual trained gynecologist and pain specialist. And we are look, seeing the amount of, you know, young women and, and some men uh, and uh, who have this chronic pelvic pain um, issues and looking at what best model of care um, fits well with them. So that's where I've been in that space recently. And um, yeah, it's a, a lot of work to still do. Mm. So tell me a bit about, you know, the kind of broad pain management um, that you're sort of, that you've been working in for some time. You know, it's highly specialised and incredibly complex. Like what's the thing that kind of um, interested you? You know, obviously it is really rewarding when you get it right, but we don't always do it so well either, do we? No, and I, I would have to say that when I was an enrolled nurse working in a hospice and I didn't have those magic keys <laughs> to um, enable, you know, uh, thinking that people weren't getting appropriate pain management, you know, this is going back probably 25, 30 years ago, um, I wanted to be able to advocate um, more and be able to provide um, patients there with, you know, what I felt was more adequate pain relief and particularly at the end of life in that stage. And I think that's what um, I, I became quite passionate about um, that area. Um, and as I said, you, you're right, um, pain management is quite broad and there's acute pain and you know most of us have experienced that and we generally get better and and improve you know our, our our life and recovery and all of that but when it turns chronic it's quite disabling and people do have a very decreased quality of life and function and it impacts them um, and their families um, very much so so I think that was wanting to 
um, support those people because there's a, a lot of stigma around people with chronic pain as well, mm. um, you know, particularly with um, the opioids issue. Um, and I, I think being the voice, which is when I, I started getting involved with Chronic Pain Australia, which is a consumer um, advocacy organisation of which I've worked in a volunteer capacity as a clinician and on their board for the last 12 years. Uh, and I think that has has really um, made me a better clinician yeah. because hearing the lived experience of people living with chronic pain and the impact that it has, has made me um, question some of the things I have do as a clinician because sometimes we do things because we think it's the right thing to do and we know we need to tick you know these things off and and make sure that we're following you know certain protocols and stuff but at the end of the day there's a person at the end of that. And if it's not working for them, then we need to sort of find out why. And I think that's made me a better clinician to mm. this day. Mm. And tell me, you know, what are your top tips for other clinicians when they're dealing with kind of complex pain situations with their patients? Have you got any suggestions that they yeah. think about? <laughs> it's not It's not always as easy as it sounds, but the first thing I think is just listening Letting, I think a lot of patients, we, we do have this seven minute consultation, like which is what we're used to with GPs where, you know, you've got to get a lot out in seven minutes and, you know, our um, healthcare system is not generally set up for those longer consultations. So uh, they tend to be a lot briefer and we, we tend to want to try and get to the point. But what I've found and after listening a lot to patients is they really want to be heard mm -hmm. and they want to feel validated. So listening um, and, you know, letting the patient know that you, that, that you, you know, you um, uh, know that they're experiencing all these things and that you're understanding where they're coming from and that you are, are there to support them, um, I think are the biggest things, I think, for a clinician to listen to. And as I said, when you've got, you know, a clinic backed up and backed up, you know, it's not always that easy, but that's one of the biggest things, the take-home message is that people said, you know, thank you. I've never been able to tell my story. Um, and, it, it, you know, I do feel very validated. So they're probably the biggest um, take-home messages, I think. Excellent, excellent. And like you said, not always easy, but... You no, know, incredibly yeah, if you get a better picture, uh, sometimes it can help you with those assessments and sort of diagnosis as well, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think one of the things I've tried to do in my job is also trying to sort of ring patients beforehand and let them know, you know, that, you know, so that it's not, I mean, it's not, and that doesn't happen with every clinic that people have either, but it is important because then you've already built on a relationship. So you've already started, they know what to expect. And, um, you know, that also helps a lot. Uh, and sometimes it can just be a two minute phone call. Hi, Mary, you've got a, we've got a, a, you know, a clinic tomorrow, you know, is there anything that you want to talk to me about beforehand? This is what you're going to expect. And, you know, I'll see you then. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's quite simple, but mm -hmm. I think that's the simple things that in a busy day and we're all pretty busy mm -hmm. um, is that we probably don't do as well as we could. Yeah. Yeah. Look, really good tip, I think. 
So Fiona, fast, in, fast forward to now, you know, with uh, the nomination for HESTA um, and the work that you've been doing around um, pelvic pain in particular, can you talk to us about what kind of got you in that and um, some of the specific work you've been doing around the model of care? Because it sounds really exciting and I think our listeners would love to hear about it. Okay. Um personal experience, lived experience mm -hmm. um, as a young 18-year-old um, who was diagnosed uh, with endometriosis and had a very poor post-operative experience with my um, obstetric, not my gynecologist at the time, who was basically, you know, oh, you've got endometriosis it's everywhere you know you're probably not going to be able to have kids and you know I was just like and what and he walked away and I was sort of like what <laughs> so uh you know which you know moving for you know like uh, rolling forward to the future I have three children <laughs> I'm actually a grandmother of three <laughs> so um I think that that poor experience um led me to sort of have a better understanding um of the journey that a lot of these women have and and as I said and some men as well and trans men as well uh but and your story is not that unusual really is it you know I um, don't think so and all the investigations and you know and I consider I was in the system I was a nurse and I was also had you know multiple uh, laparoscopies and treatments and all of that sort of stuff and I just didn't feel like it was um is explained and was supported as well as you know we could do these things now and what got me more involved in it more recently after moving you know managing just chronic pain patients in general is uh, that a lot of these um, patients have had multiple surgeries by the time they're 25 26 mm. so they've had laparoscopies assist uh yeah cystoscopy no uh, laparoscopies colonoscopies um every oscopy <laughs> you yeah. can possibly imagine because with the chronic chronic pelvic pain there tends to be a lot of overlapping conditions like irritable bowel syndrome wow. um overactive bladder migraines um and because they're taking lots of non-steroidals you know, they get lots of gut issues and so therefore they're needing an endoscopy and all of that. So, and I'm not saying all of those investigations are necessarily wrong at the time, but there generally seems to be quite a large number of them in a very short period of time. And those patients are very much looked at from the discipline specific space. Yeah. So if they have irritable bowel, the gas gastroenterologist will look at them from that point of view and then have the those investigations and then no there's nothing there then they'll get referred to a gynecologist you know or they'll get referred to a urologist because they have overactive bladder and that so they're all being treated in silos so with this fantastic opportunity I was presented with in my team in Newcastle with this dual trained um, uh, doctor who was very passionate and was working in gynecology at the time doing finishing her fellowship there as well in obstetrics and gynecology and she saw this enormous amount of women particularly um, who fitted this profile and I'm not saying all of these women have to have endometriosis 
um, but a large portion, probably around 50%, we've identified do. But they'll have other issues such as polycystic ovary syndrome. They'll have fibromyalgia along with their pelvic pain and all of that. So we just felt that treating someone in a more holistic, um, supportive way um, that was patient-centred and, you know, uh, meant that they could at least be you know, we could look at all of those areas of, you know, the investigations that they've had, explain it to them, because so mm. many of them, like myself, had that post-op experience, mm. which was in, bang, and, you know, that was it. And so they're sort of like a deer in the headlights and things like, you know, oh, it's terrible, you know, you've got this, you know, endometriosis, it's it's spread, it's everywhere. And so they get all these catastrophic type sort of thoughts, processes. So once they get it explained and sit down and talk to them about it, and, you know, that that model of care is, is really what we are trying to define. And I have been, we've done international international um, literature reviews and systematic reviews, and we've come up with what we think is the best model of care, which, you know, is multidisciplinary supportive care um, and needs, you know, like a psychologist, um, you know, physiotherapist, and obviously there's that medical component. Um, but in, in a busy uh, clinic you know that that's really hard to to determine so we've tried to sort of look at how we can do that um, you know on with more women as well and that's the thing we're looking at at the moment as well as looking at maybe some women's only group based chronic pain programs but um, a lot of these women uh, you know they're, they're they're terrified now you know fertility issues there's all of that other their trauma that traumatic developmental history that a lot of these people have is is off the charts mm. so you know there's domestic abuse you know there's psychological sexual physical abuse in their childhood some of it's transgenerational so I think that whole area um, you know and and these women they're young <laughs> and a lot of them are, are single you know, single parents trying to work uh, and then they've got all these ongoing issues going on. So I've probably been going on a bit, but yeah, it's that, I think it's just that, that drive to support and get a better model of care mm. for these patients is what is required and changing the system approach as well to, you know, a lot of these people are on multiple waiting lists. So if there was this active waitlist management where they could have this initial review and, you know, and determine, you know, what's going on and, and maybe develop up a plan, um, then maybe we could avoid some of these unnecessary surgeries, mm. uh, which are invasive and expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, then also every surgery can potentially cause some further harm. Mm. So I think, you know, looking at other approaches, which may not necessarily be, you know, in, you know interventions or medications, but looking at other approaches to supporting them. Mm. And in this model of care that you've developed, is it, you know, what's the role of the nurse? Are you the one doing those those initial assessments or is that, you know, the doctor or talk me through? Yeah, kind of what so the model is very much based on a care coordination model of yep. which I play the care coordinator yep. role. Um, I, I will, we will get the patients, they will be on the waiting list. I will ring them. I will talk to them about their referral. 
and uh, talk to them about what we can offer in the clinic because um, a lot of you know sometimes it's not always convenient for people to be able to take time away from work and that mm. and if it's also not what their um, thinking is for them then it's not going to we're not going to sort of waste their time or you know ours but we could also offer some suggestions I talked to them about what to expect in the clinic, uh, ask them what goals that they would like to get out of the appointment. And then the next phase is a joint appointment with the doctor and myself, of which is generally an hour. Uh, and we go over, you know, the biomedical, the psychological, looking at diet, nutrition and their activity, sleep, um, past investigations, and then culminating in explaining to them you know you know in a detailed drawing that Dr Caddick is brilliant at doing and showing people you know what that actually means and getting a better understanding and then coming up with a plan which then goes back with their GP or specialist generally GP because they're the main um, person coordinating care and then um, I'll generally follow up with a phone call um, or we'll follow up with other team members in our, um, in our team here, like physio or psychology, or, you know, we'll, some people will say that was great. Um, you know, I can be discharged now, but um, yeah, generally speaking, that's the sort of general flow, but most people on average would require um, at least a couple of appointments, at least follow up, because um, it's not easy you know, to change your diet, no. <laughs> get moving better, especially if you've got pain and, and all of that sort of stuff. So um, it does need support. And a lot of these people don't have support networks. They're very, um, you know, very isolated living in, you know, distances away from, you know, uh, availability of care. And the, the, the key things which has come up with the chronic pain, so, uh, chronic pain Australia is around, uh, affordability and accessibility of services for people like you know to go to a, a private psychologist or something could be about 150 mm -hmm. out of pocket if you can get in yeah and I'm not I'm not saying that they're not worth it and that they that can't charge that it's like you know GPs I think they're underpaid and we need to improve the the gap payment there and that but at the end of the day that's just completely cost prohibitive to these yeah. people so the management and the plan that we write out still doesn't necessarily, we aren't able to necessarily follow through because of the financial limitations yeah. placed on the patient. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's pretty devastating. Yeah. The model itself sounds really interesting though. And such a, um, you know, complete um, 180 to the current system in the way that it operates, you know, particularly when you think about how difficult it is for people who have got kind of pelvic symptoms um, just being bumped around through our system back and forth. So, you know, um, congratulations. I think it's really exciting. Are you a leader in your workplace? Passionate about social justice issues? Apply for the Ros Norman Scholarship. The scholarship covers up to $5,000 for promoting activism, developing campaign skills and public advocacy. Whether you're passionate about climate justice, women's rights, LGBTQIA rights or trade unionism, the Ros Norman Scholarship will help develop your advocacy and leadership skills. Apply now at newsouthwalesnma.asn.au forward slash Ros Norman Scholarship. Applications close 30th of September. Check website for terms and conditions. 
you must have some really positive sort of feedback from your members, out from your patients, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. As I said, they're those, they're those words that come up, you know, you're the first person that's ever, or, you know, this clinic, this is the first time I've ever felt validated. Yeah. I've ever, you know, that I've been actually able to um, have things explained in detail and properly, um, you know, they're, they're the sorts of main things. And, um, you know, you know, we do get, you know, the success stories, uh, which is always really, really positive. You know, I can think of a few, but, you know, I'm not going to sort of, you know, identify those too much, but, you know, just generally it's feeling supported and, you know, somebody that understands because as, as women generally, we've been through life and, you know, it was that dismissive, um, and I don't want to say it too harshly, but that misogynistic sort of approach with, you know, um, that, oh, you know, you've got your periods or whatever, just get on with it. But, you know, mm. when you're when you're bleeding through your clothing and you're doing that, you know, every fortnight and then you've got this incredible pain as well that goes along with it. And then you've got this fear of, you know, is there something wrong? And now we're seeing in the media a lot about people, women having um, young getting diagnosed with you know, um, ovarian cancer or endometrial cancer and even bowel cancer. So all of these symptoms that they're having, they're real. And mm -hmm. that's why there is so many investigations. But what I would advocate is that as, as a system, we looked at it more closely and, and, and holistically and not just do this scatterbomb. Like I, I know GPs are busy in that as well, but, you know, someone I'll get and I'll review them when triaging, there are multiple waiting lists. So, you know, again, if, if some, someone pulled it all together and felt that it was warranted that they needed, a, you know, a colonoscopy or gastroscopy or uh, whatever, or laparoscopy to determine if they did have endometriosis, because currently that's the primary way to determine endometriosis, um, then, you know, this could be done by in this type of clinic. And then they could be referred on if there was you know, if issues um, occurred and at least people might not necessarily feel the need to have that, but explaining that there is all these overlapping symptoms that people have can really show that, that you know, it is all part of this oversensitized nervous system and that people's traumatic background has probably contributed to where they are today. And there is hope. I think that's the biggest thing that we've been able to say to a lot of these women is you know, there actually is hope yeah. that things will change. And and I think you almost see this aha moment when it's explained, you know, why they're having these ongoing symptoms and, and why it is, you just almost see the shoulders drop and it's like, you know, oh, you know, and when a support person or a carer comes in with them, as they're getting the explanation at the same time, we advocate for that as well. So, you know, that's, that's been truly rewarding. And, and I'd love to see that in more than just chronic pelvic pain clinics. Mm. I'd like to see it in, you know, but, but we do, we have become so specialized, you know, this is, this is the bowel and this is the bladder yeah. and this is the pelvis. So um, yeah. Mm. And so are there plans to try and scale up this type yes. of chronic pelvic pain clinic? I, I have, been, I've had some very preliminary discussions with, um, well, I, I'm also the co-chair of the pain management network of the Agency for Clinical Innovation. Right. So as this has certainly been my baby and I've been um, pushing this one, but I, over the years, 
um, even trying to find someone in in the Ministry of Health that um, actually was under where this would fit, whether it was under a women's health banner. Mm, doesn't exist really, which was, um, it took me a couple of years to find someone, but I have, I have found some friendly um, uh, people in the ministry who uh, are interested and, 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 you know, obviously think this is an important issue. And likewise, you know, things like the menopause hubs, which have got up, and I'm hoping that they can see the the worth in this, um, and we'll advocate from the pain management network as well. That you know this is this new model of care it really does need to get scaled up. Mm. Um, but again, it's it's quite rare to have a dual trained pain specialist and um, gynaecologist. Yeah. I think there's only there was five last year across New Zealand and Australia. I think there's only six, and we have one here in Newcastle so it would be awesome but um, it can still be the model can still work but I think it works because there is that that dual trained um, mm. specialty but um, just the principles of the approach yeah I think yeah we could but again it boils down to funding and interest mm. um, and you know Obviously, post-COVID, everything has been extremely difficult, but we are continuing to apply for grants. We're now working with um, the women's research um, uh, at, in um, Newcastle at the University of Newcastle to try and advocate more for some research in this space because um, we have all the data to show that there is a need. But as we all know, doing grant applications as a clinician... <laughs> and doing all the data collection that's required to prove that there is a need to change um, can take a lot of time and energy. So uh, we do have a lot of support in principle, but we don't have a lot of cash. So if anyone has any ideas around how we can do that, I'm open for suggestions. All right. Well, the listeners can get in touch with us and we can pass them through to you for sure um, if there's any suggestions. But it is often the funding gap that kind of puts a barrier on some of these uh, really innovative programs. Um, but, you know, I feel like is it one of those things where, like, if you build it, they will come? Like, you know, well, you create the clinics, will that create the impetus for doctors to go and do specialised? Well, I hope so, areas? yeah. And that's why we're trying to promote, um, you know, at national conferences. Um, and we do have, I have to say, locally, we have, you know, very senior um, executive level support for this. But again, you know, they're trying to be innovative as well with the funding that comes through, particularly because a lot of these um, end up in the emergency department, which is least ideal yeah. for people, um, particularly, you know, if it's a chronic thing and, you know, it's not the best experience, I have to say, for those people. And it's not, and it's hard as well. And that's when sometimes, unfortunately, more investigations and potential iatrogenic harm will come to people. Yeah. So, yeah, so I hope so. And, um, you know, as I said, I'm we're keen. I, I believe, you know, one of the things we'd like to do is, is set up a, a statewide, at least in New South Wales, I, I believe we've just joined one that's, um, there's some interest in pelvic pain clinics, uh, pelvic pain. So if, you know, if people really are interested, maybe contact in the ACI pain management network and let us know, because if there's more people out there like me, <laughs> it helps. Definitely. Um, so that would be really good. But um, yeah, uh, that's probably on that chronic pain, uh, the pelvic pain thing. Yeah. Um, 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk us uh, through, you know, a lot of the work that you've been doing, but in particular, um, the new model of care. And I think the opportunities that it offers for um, people who are experiencing that chronic pelvic pain, because, you know, exactly as you pointed out, an emergency department is the least suitable place and trying to explain to patients that you can't solve all of their years of chronic pain symptoms with an emergency department visit. But when they're in such agony, you know, you just, you're basically just patching them up and moving them on. Um, it's not an ideal at all. So I think it's really exciting that we've got places that are starting to do some of this work and thinking about ways that we can just overhaul the whole system so that people can have a really kind of positive experience um, instead of what they've had. And can I just say, I think from a nursing specialty, it opens up a very diverse, like most nurses have come from a background like myself of uh, a surgical or emergency background, but you know, with this particular model, but um, you know, you can have nurses that are working in uh, gynae or you know, gastro or mm. even neuro or anything like that. So, because there is you know so many of those um, conditions um, that that overlap in that. Yeah. So, but just in general with chronic with with pain management, again, it's a great specialty even for people if you don't. Um, the the pain management you can be it's part of everyone's journey mm. when they're when they've had you know they're in hospital or unwell or what have you so just having that bit more expertise and and on that there is a national pain management nurses association pna um, that offers a lot of support and membership to nurses where they do um uh, monthly webinars on various topics. Um, they have annual conferences, they have virtual conferences and things like that because they're a national service. The other thing we're looking at there is looking at mentoring. Wow. Um, you know, nurses, because, you know, although um, you can't see the greys in my hair and those on, online won't see it, but it is coloured. Um, so I am ageing and I we're looking at, you know, upskilling those and succession planning behind us. So it's an opportunity for people, you know, if they wanted to be, you know, linked in with someone, you know, locally, you know, who does pain management, whether it's acute, chronic, palliative care, whatever, um, you know, we want to try and do more of that so that people feel supported, you know, they can get guidelines and, you know, in services and all that sort of stuff. So I think there's some great opportunities there as well. Excellent. Thank you. Those are some awesome resources. We'll make sure that they're attached in the show notes as well for people that want more details. Well, thank you, Fiona. It's been really wonderful chatting with you and getting to kind of understand some of the work that you've been doing. And I'm so pleased that you've been recognised for it. So um, thank you, because I have no doubt you've contributed lots of hours and sacrificed. Oh, to yes. Work. Yeah, which my family reminds me of constantly. <laughs> but I feel like it's my giving back, um, particularly with Chronic Pain Australia. As I said, um, we do lots of government submissions. Um, We've just finished, completed our national pain survey and uh, which happens we do every year for National Pain Week, which starts on the 24th of July. So that's another resource um, that we do uh, free webinars online and events 
and um, Facebook live events and uh, lots of multidisciplinary webinars for people. And, and it's you know, all informed by the National Pain Survey, uh, which is, as I said, people's lived experience. So they'll tell us what needs to be done. And that's where we came up with our triple A strategy for government, which was around raising like the triple A strategic intent, which is around raising awareness of the stigma and the impact that chronic pain has on people living mm. with in Australia. The af massive affordability issues that people yeah. have with their medications and also the access issues um, around accessing good pain management, again, which links in with affordability. So whether it's rural or remote. So that's another resource is Chronic Pain Australia. And um, also the work I had done as project officer with the Pain Management Network ACI, there's a brilliant website um, of resources for both uh, health professionals and for consumers um, and also adolescents, a great self-management um, program on there called Pain Bites, B-Y-T-E-S, which was developed and all of it's been co-designed with consumers. Um, and yeah, just, so there's lots of resources out there. It's just mm. finding the right ones that fit you and, and yeah, just reaching out for support. And people that do have pain, there is Australian Pain Management Association has a pain link helpline, a 1300 number that um, can also be there for that you can advocate and give to you patients who are struggling and a lot of them are struggling and mental health is a huge issue and and suicide has mm. has become quite prominent there particularly with a lot of the opioid deprescribing issues and um, patients facing some abandonment issues don't mean to get too serious but it is really serious it's a really serious issue well thank you we'll make sure that all those resources are included so that people can access them and you know refer patients or get some advice and support if they do come into contact with any of their patients that might need some of that assistance that's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Fiona and I look forward to being able to share more unique and enlightening stories from the world of nursing and midwifery. If you enjoyed this chat, be sure to subscribe to The Shift with Shay wherever you get your podcast. And a reminder, please be sure to leave us a review on your favourite streaming platform. It helps others to find the show. If you have a story to share with us, please let us know by emailing the team at theshiftpodcast at nswnma.com dot asn dot au. Bye for now.